Hello, and welcome back to So You Think You Can Fan, and the only podcast that not only lives in your walls, but is also hitting the gritty 24 hours a day. I'm Jake, the internet's busiest music nerd. And here we have the usual suspects, Sergio. Hello. Matthew. Hi. Hi. It's me. Kybert. Hello. And... Nobody. And, okay. <laughs> the it's other guy's time. a little allergic to Warhammer. Also, welcome back, Kai, because he hasn't been on the show in a while. Yeah. Yay. We'll see if I'll still be on the show. Kai, I might get choke slammed. Caught on fire. Um, We doused him out, mm-hmm. which is, is fine. Yeah, I'm just like horribly maimed for the rest of my life. It's okay. No, you'll you you got you you got better. Somewhat. You got better. Yeah. Does anyone have anything interesting uh, that they want to talk about before we begin, or are we just getting right into it? Uh, at um, work, I'm I do duct spaghetti. I do. Mmm, yum. I told Matt about this person. Uh, I went to Publix to pick up my mom's prescription like 30 minutes ago, right? This woman ordered two subs and asked to have each topping individually wrapped. Mm-hmm. Individually? Individually. So she, she got the sub in the meat and the cheese. And then she was like, for the toppings, I just want you to put them in bags. But why? Why would you do that? What would you, like, how much? Like, Does she want to put tomato, it on herself, onion, I guess? Pickles. No, she yeah, said like, her how... kids don't like it when they touch. What? They just don't order them on the sandwich. What? I hate children. I don't understand. I was like, this is, this is insane. (laughs) I'm just sitting there, like, waiting for my sub to be made. She had to slice my, she had to slice my meat, the the girl that was taking my order. That sounds like a euphemism. No. (laughs) The meat was not sliced. And so I was just, like, waiting. And she's just like, yeah individually sliced and i'm just like what is happening this is not real it's psycho behavior that's what that is like i hate things i hate food as you know i'm a very picky eater but even i wouldn't do that yeah i don't know that's weird Hmm. well if you're watching this lady um fuck you're a psychopath or your kids are psychopaths and you should put them in therapy. <laughs> yes. Before they... You know what would be really fucked up? What? <clears throat> if you buy meat and buns separately. From like on a burger? Like you, yeah. burger? First of all, going to Burger King is a mental illness in of itself. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. When was the last time you had good food from Burger King? Something about our generation. Never. Interesting. Our, our generation hates Burger King. Yeah, and I don't I used know, to like their chicken fries, like the spicy why. chicken fries. I don't know why, but I do hate it. 
it's because it's kind of gone down the hill. They've got very mediocre fries. They generally have mediocre service. They're like chicken is kind of okay, but their burgers aren't like that good. McDonald's is generally cheaper and honestly better. They should be that, chicken. That game. reminds me. That reminds me. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Some mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. most mm-hmm. I'd say mm-hmm. most people in this in this uh place right here uh have seen this video that i made in 2020 um on the topic of burger king chicken fries but i know for a fact that kai hasn't seen this video um so i'm going to send it to you kai okay don't watch it until the episode is over because it's one very loud um so loudness warning Um, okay but I made this. I don't remember why I made this, but it is really funny. Okay, and I, I, will... I watched it a few days ago because I was just like bored and I remembered it existed and I fucking cracked myself up. Okay. I could do a live react at the end of the episode. That's true. We can. <laughs> All right. Speaking of the episode, we haven't, I don't think we've said what we're doing. What are we doing? We're reading all, all Garden party. party. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Jacob gets to be here for one of these for once in his entire I'm life. I'm always he's, here for these. Yeah, what he's never mean? missed I've one. Been to, I've been to every one. Well, considering how much you complain about us reading Chain with you, I'd think that you would uh, be a little more thankful that we continue to include these. Because yeah. every time every time we... Uh, this is good, good things for the fans. Every time the word Chain followed by the word Memories is uttered in a sentence, Jacob's left testicle quakes in fear. I read a textbook with the phrase chain of memories in it and like had an <laughs> aneurysm on the spot. Every time, every time someone mentions a chain of memories outside of an episode, my, my left ball grows three times in size. Damn. Oh, and then it rapidly shrinks to a fifth of that size. Oh, I... I... The, the, the last thing before, before we start, because I told Kai about this. So we got this transphobic looking book in our bookstore. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, 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 so I pick up the book and it's called Irreversible Damage. And it says the trans in quotation mark epidemic that's coming for our kids. It, it, it immediately to me sounds very pearl clutchy, like, will someone think of the children? And I'm like, what? What is this? Mm. I, 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 I pop it around and it talks about like how like there are predatory trans like influencers and stuff online that are going to influence your kids and make them trans. And I'm like, like I'm look like I'm reading it and I'm like, like I, I like I get like 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 I get like I get like if you sh- like like you should never convince anybody that they need to transition. You should never convince anybody that they have like X problem and that they should do x thing to fix their non-existent problem but i was like i don't know what side they're taking here so i messaged um kai who's an expert on such things and then he was like oh it's that book and i'm like (laughs) that bad huh (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's pretty terrible i'm surprised big gretz let that slide who knows in my presence is that what they call her, Big Gretch? That's what they call so. her on Twitter. Yeah, it's adopted for, like, junior-level psych and junior-level uh, women and gender studies. I, I really hope they're using it to say, like, 
hey, this is the opposite of what you should be thinking about these uh, things. It's, it's in uh, anti, anti-woke psychology. Big Gretch was on the news while I was uh, while I was at work, and I was, and it was just like her. It wasn't her. It was her, her political opponent, who was who was who was also a woman. Um, who was? Yeah, we're like, having we're having white woman uh, throwdown. She was like, she was like white woman to, war. She was like, WWW. We, we need to get this liberal out of office so we can get a real woman in office. And I was like, <laughs> what? Well, yeah. If you're a liberal, you're well, not a real like, woman. She was like, "I'm a mother. I'm a I'm a liberal. I'm I'm a I'm a God fearing Christian. I'm a mother." Is does Gretchen have children? I yes. think Gretchen does have children. I think what Gretchen is also Christian, but I could be wrong. Like I'm just watching, and I'm like, "This is real." Yeah, <laughs> like, children too. Like the way she said it, she was like. She was like, yeah, she's like, I'm Christian, I'm a mother. And it's like, uh, okay. Way Gretchen to flex. is also a mother. Weird shit. Probably Christian. It was too. like 75% of America, or whatever the statistic is. It's a lot. Yes. 75% of America is a Christian mother? Yes. <laughs> no, I mean that Christian. Uh, 63% Christianity, according to uh, Wikipedia. So who's reading? Uh, I you. Okay, Sergio. Me. Sergio. Yeah, you start. All um, right. Good soldiers, bad certain ed- ed- good soldiers, bad educators from the adventures of the All Guardsmen Party. Uh, we should say in the last episode they did shit. Um, there was a mechanicus ship, and it was fucked up. Um, and then they salvaged it somehow. And then they, the, the the Professor Oak told them they have to train the new recruits. Does that sound right that, to everybody? Yes, I think so. Yeah, it sounds they, they also correct, they yeah. also replayed the plot of Event Horizon. Mm-hmm. All right, Which so is just we a begin. Yeah, yeah. So we begin. We begin with. Uh, the sta- the the picture we always begin with. I want you for the Imperial Inquisition with the Imperial Witch Huntress. Um, the squad is sitting along one side of a table, across from a dangerous-looking man and women. Both sides are trying to stare down each other over the oppressive array of official-looking documents piled on the table. At a word from Sards, the squad's melee specialist Cutter puts down his chainsword and carefully pulls three documents from the pile. Across the table, a woman in a black bodysuit does likewise, and Sarge winces when he sees which one she's holding. There's a brief whispered argument on both sides of the table. Then Doc, the glaring daggers at Sarge, picks up a large folder and starts going through it. A large metallic man on the other side immediately grabs a few documents, prompting Twitch, the squad's demolitions expert, to explode out of his chair and lunge at the table. He stops by a hand on his collar and a warning shouted by a hooded man sitting off in the corner. Sarge pulls out a few files and shoves them into Twitch's hands, then orders a trooper out of the room. Both sides sit and glare at each other until the hooded figure observing the meeting clears his throat in a menacing way. Sarge gives Nubby, the squad's quartermaster, a meaningful look. Muttering under his breath and moving with exaggerated slowness, Nubby pulls some exotic-looking weapons from a storage case and lays them on the table. At a nudge from Sarge, he also brings up two small crates, 
then sits back and nervously watches as a tall, thin man leans across the table and inspects them. After the thin man sits back down and has a short conversation with his team, Sarge gets to his feet. In a voice trembling a little with nerves, the non-com prepares to make what might be the most important deal of his life. <clears throat> well offered these weapons, two crates of Amasek, and we'll handle the combat training for the scribes. In exchange for your team taking all of the psychers. The All Guardsmen Party. Good soldiers, bad educators. We discriminate against psychers in these parts. Fuck psychers. <laughs> I think Kai should get the next one. I don't I don't think Kai's ever said the famous tagline of All Guardsmen. I don't think I have. Okay. <clears throat> so no shit. There we were on a ship headed out to some nameless inquisition facility to teach a bunch of fresh recruits how to be proper inquisitorial goons. In our humble opinions, this was stupid as hell. We were definitely goons, but it was hard to find anyone less proper than us. When you hear the term agents of the inquisition, you'd usually imagine a bunch of people in billowing cloaks armed with masterwork power weapons and acting all dark and mysterious. Maybe they're not all beautiful or darkly handsome, but the ones that aren't are definitely covered with impressive scars and fancy-looking aug augmetics. You'd expect them to swoop in, interrogate, and possibly torture anyone who looks shifty. Maybe make a few other people disappear, then do something eldritch and fly away into the night. You would not expect a bunch of guardsmen wearing sweaty fatigues and constantly looking either bored, frustrated, or confused. The point is that we didn't look like proper agents, we didn't act like proper agents, and we definitely didn't have any idea how to teach a bunch of recruits to be proper agents. Sure, all of our missions had been relatively successful, but aside from a few tactical situations, we hadn't actually done anything complex. We didn't interrogate people, we didn't assemble theories or hypotheses, we didn't leverage secret arcane knowledge, we just followed around our superior officer and did what we were told. If investigations were called for, we usually just asked someone who looked smart to do it for us. All we really ever did was stand around until someone screwed up, then applied explosive and last fire to the problem until it was fixed. While this seemed to work for us, it definitely wasn't the way things were supposed to be done, and Oak probably wouldn't thank us for teaching rookies to act like that. This was the worst idea since, well, putting Nubby in charge of buying a ship. Okay, maybe it wasn't that bad. We weren't handling all of these rookies' education, just the final polishing. They'd already been through a few months of lessons on the basics of in inquisiting. Some of Oak's adepts had already, been taught, had already taught them all that boring what is chaos, where the tyranids come from, and why heresy is bad stuff. They'd also supposedly been given a rundown of what their general role was in a few lessons on stuff like interrogation and disguises. We were expected to finish, up, finish that training, though, as experienced field agents. We'd... Be, we'd We'd to be able to tell them what it actually was like to be on a mission and how to do their jobs correctly. Unfortunately, we didn't even know what those jobs really were, much less how to do them. <clears throat> Luckily, a second team of instructors had been shipped out with us. They were all sleek and professional looking and had experience in all those aspects of inquisiting that we barely even understood. Ideally, we just handed off all the training to them, but there are too many students and too little time. Both of our teams would have to split the load up as evenly as possible. 
we were also accompanied by one of Oak's personal interrogators, a quiet fellow who'd like to sit in corners and work on data slates. The man didn't actually seem very interested in our mission. He just gave us a basic briefing, handed over the files and the recruits, and then sat and worked on a slate while we hashed things out with the other team. Apparently, the interrogator's job consisted of constantly organizing new groups of trainees, and he'd already started getting, on getting the next group together, which, which meant he really didn't have any energy to spare on us. He was going to make sure we had a facility to train in and the right group of trainees, but as soon as we were in place, he'd be flying off to, the next, to set up the next batch and the next and the next. Once our classes got started, we wouldn't see him until he showed up for the final review and shipped us all back to Oak. Aside from the initial briefing, our interrogator probably said less than 100 words to our team over the course of the trip. Some people would have been offended by this treatment, but we liked him. He seemed a lot less likely to get us all killed than any of our previous bosses. Instead of bothering our interrogator, we mostly interact with the other team. They seem like fairly solid folks, for a bunch of fancy agent types, that is, but they were obviously a little unhappy about our presence on the mission. While they tried to be polite, it was easy to tell that they thought we were a bunch of dim grunts and didn't believe any of our stories about our previous missions. Orders were orders, though. If Oak said that we were... We're half the training team, then we'd make sure we did half the work. We would have settled for a quarter, maybe an eighth. Training records need to be reviewed. Locations need to be chosen. Resources needed to be requested. Duties needed to be assigned, and lessons needed to be planned. As the only responsible members of the squad, Sergeant Doc handled most of this. Nobby was occasionally called in to lend a hand with the requisition paperwork, but Twitch and Cutter were left to their usual pastimes of paranoid booby trapping and obsessive sword drills. Now, Sergeant Doc did their best to get us the cushiest jobs. They were outnumbered, and the other team wasn't born yesterday. The crafty buggers weren't allowed weren't about to let us stick them with all the crazies, criminals, and incompetents while we sat around drinking beers with the best, with a bunch of well-trained PDF troops and arbitees. In the end, we all sat down to a negotiation and got the best deal we could. At least we managed not to get stuck with the damn psychers. Our squad would be in charge of four batches of trainees. There was a unit of PDF that had helped take down a minor demon, and some violent priests who had burned out a few cults and were probably just a being sent to us to get them out of the way. Then there was a group of criminals who were dumb enough to rob an Inquisition warehouse, but smart enough to talk their way out of an execution. And finally, there were the scribes. Mm, those damn scribes. Not all scribes are useless little sissies. Hell, Cutter was a scribe. If he hadn't been handed a chainsword during a pitched fight and subsequently discovered how much more fun being a raging berserker was, he'd probably still be pushing pencils and sorting files. In an extreme situation, the meekest men and women can rise up and become heroes, surprising their enemies with berserk fury and vicious cleverness. Unfortunately, when that heretic cult kidnapped a bunch of administratum scribes and forced them to help translate a demonic text, all the brave ones who fought their captors or sabotaged their translations were immediately killed. The scribes we got were the cowards, the weasels, the dimwits, and the bloody sheep. Not a single one of them was even remotely qualified for any sort of combat. Oak always needed more nerds for field duty, though, and these scribes had enough mental fortitude to translate a chaos tome without going nuts. If we could make fighting men out of any of them, he'd call it a win, even if the rest died in the process. Both our squad and the other team could see what a shit show training these bookworms termed fight was going to be. No one wanted to trust them with a butter knife, much less a firearm. It was obviously going Why to be are you bad. Like pseudo British right now. I don't know. I kind of started doing that when I read the uh, the bloody sheep. 
I've practiced bad. a British like, accent for a very again. long time. So, uh, it's a fun story. When I was like 12, I accidentally slipped into a British accent sometimes when I was just trying to practice other things. It was very weird. I knew you when you were 12. Yeah, I think you did. Not very well, though. That's fucked up. Yeah, that is a little fucked up. Pretty soon, we're all going to have known each other for more than half our lives. I've known Owen for half our life. Yes. You were the DLC pack that we have grown to love. Yay. Yeah, like, it's more like Phoenix. That's an insult, I think. We've known, well, I mean, I guess we've known Kai longer than Phoenix. So, no, maybe it's not. Mm hmm. <sighs> It was obviously going to be bad, but all they needed was basic combat training, and our squad could definitely provide that. So all the agents would handle all the assassins, infiltrators, cogboys, and psychers. We'd have the nerds, nuts, grunts, and scum. We touched down after a few weeks of idleness or frantic lesson planning, depending on whether you ask Twitch, Nubby, and Cutter, or Sergeant Doc. The interrogator directed both our squad and the other team to separate flyers and said that the trainees and all our requested material would be waiting for us. As a sort of afterthought, he reminded us that we'd be back in a few months for a final review and then got to the shuttle and left. It was reassuring to see that the other team was just as surprised and confused as us by his sudden departure. Everyone stood there and milled around until the shuttle took off and a pair of men walked over from the parked flyers. They asked if there was something, if there was anything else we needed to do here and reminded us that the trainees were waiting. As we split off to our flyer, Sarge promised to keep in touch with the other team, who, according to our guide, would be operating out of a facility half a continent away. This came as a surprise, since none of us had paid that much attention to the location briefing. We'd expect it to be all in the same facility and work together. Honestly, it was all a bit distressing. Our boss had just ditched us, and the people we'd planned on asking for help and advice would be nowhere near us. We were going to be pretty much alone with the trainees. Sarge and Doc began to really worry about the quality of their plans, and the rest of us felt just a little bit guilty about slacking off. Once we boarded the flyer, our guide introduced himself as one of the interrogator's organizers. <coughs> there were four of them at the facility. A doctor to watch the trainee's health, a pair of tech priests to keep the place running, and him. He was the facility administrator and would be getting everything ready for us. He'd handle all the paperwork, interface with the local authorities for us, and do his best to fulfill any supply requests we made. Twitch immediately asked for several tons of explosives, but Sarge interrupted the administrator before he could finish asking what type. Sarge gave the administrator a quick rundown of who in the squad was, was considered mentally fit and what constituted a reasonable request. To his credit, the man didn't seem to be worried or confused by any of it. He'd probably worked with teams weirder than us. Hell, there's probably even an all-psyker team out there somewhere. When when's the all-psyker party DLC coming out? I don't know. Uh, Where was I? All-psyker... The planet we were flying over was reasonably pleasant looking. It seemed moderately it seemed moderately developed world with no obvious specialization. There were a large few cities, a small a few small hives, a major manufacturer or two, and a fair bit of farming. A nice place with a breathable atmosphere, and at least where our base was located, a comfortable climate. According to admin, there weren't any horrible political crises. Religious schemes, gene stealer cults, or major wars currently on the planet. He said there were occasional issues with feral orcs, which made Twitch very unhappy. 
And of course, there were always criminals and minor cults. But this was the, still the nicest planet we'd been we'd seen since enlisting. The first thing we saw when we landed and the flyers uh, burp doors open was a was a pair of big servitors bearing down on us. Twitch immediately opened fire and Cutter drew his sword and began to charge. Luckily, the rest of the squad intervened before any real harm was done. After Doc had explained our previous experience with servitors to a rather annoyed tech priest, the admin introduced to the rest of the base intru, introduced us, I'm assuming, to the rest of the base staff, and we got settled in. Doc went off with a scary-looking doctor lady to look at med- medical records or something. Sarge got a base tour from the admin and scheduled a morning interview or morning review of the of the trainees. Twitch went off with the less annoying of and less annoyed of the two tech priests to inspect the perimeter while Cutter and Nubby were left with the bags. After making sure both the cargo servitors and the tech priests weren't possessed, they loaded up our gear and went to get the squad's quarters in order. That night, we got together, reviewed our lessons, and collectively panicked. Sergio? Yes. In the morning, we marched onto the evil onto the central training field looking imposing and professional in our evil goon uniforms. Well, trying to at least. Sarge looked fine, but Doc looked like he was about to throw up. Twitch had spent all, all night messing with the perimeter defenses. No one had told Cutter to clean his uniform, so had a fair bit of blood on it. And Nubby looked like Nubby. We weren't sure whether it was a good or bad thing. <laughs> Nubby looked like Nubby. <laughs> look any better. Aside from the PDF, none of them were in matching uniforms. This offended our guardsmen's sensibilities even before we even registered what the owners looked like. Their spastic collection of clothing included, oh, sorry British people, um, priestly robes with hand-sewn inquisition symbols, poorly fitted body gloves, ground-dragging trench coats, and several sets of old and battered scribes' robes. And to top it off, two of them had poor taste to dress up like cadet commissars. It looked like idiots. They milled around on the field like idiots, and what they held in their hands proved they were idiots. Every single one of them was armed. Not just armed, but heavily armed. Someone must have opened up a giant crate of auto guns, hand cannons, and swords, and took every- told everyone to take what looked cool. One of the criminals looked like he was carrying over a dozen pistols. An old scribe was struggling to hold up a heavy stubber, and some idiot had let all of the priests have hand flamers. And as we stared at the mob of trainees, we realized that no one here had ever heard of trigger discipline. And judging by the flickering pilot lights on those flamers, they hadn't heard of safeties either. Twitch and Nubby tried to casually move behind Sergeant Cutter. Upon seeing such a shameful display, Sergeant's NCO instincts kicked in. He started bawling out the recruits. Unfortunately, before he could get up to speed, there was a loud bang followed by a scream. The shouting had surprised one of the subscribes, and he shot himself in the foot. While Doc called the idiot off the field, we had a quick discussion. Then Sarge readdressed the trainees in a much quieter voice. After a brief introduction, he ordered everyone to go store their weapons, unloaded and with their safeties on, then come back in an hour wearing proper exercise attire. As the mob dispersed, Nubby grabbed one of the PDF troopers and asked him and his squad mates to oversee the weapon storage. Two self-inflicted gunshot wounds in a day would be a bit much. Eventually, everyone filed back onto the field, mostly disarmed and more appropriately dressed this time. It was tempting to start yelling at them about proper formation and posture, but we understood that those weren't something an Inquisition agent needed. So we skipped over the drill sergeant routine, and Sarge reintroduced us, explained just what aspects of the training we'd be handling, and then went about splitting everyone into groups based on role and fitness. The general plan was to split each day up between PT, weapon drills, lectures, and team exercises. In theory, everybody would be working together smoothly after a few weeks. Then we could look into more complex exercises or getting in some outside experts to talk about stuff like cogitators and disguises. That plan 
fell apart before the first week was over. Every day started with physical training, but instead of Sarge leading everyone through their morning jerks together, they had to be split up. Sarge took the few healthy recruits and put them through the usual routine. Twitch did his best with the moderately unfit, and Doc handled the ones that looked like they were going to have a heart attack. This division slowed everything down a lot, and the problem was compounded by difficulty of getting everyone out onto the field at a reasonable time for PT, which is to say before dawn. In the guard, we would have just flipped them out of bed and dragged them onto the field, but some of those scribes looked like they were at death's door, and we wanted to get as many as possible through the program. As the days went on, PT began to start later and later in the morning, and trainees started sneaking out of Sarge and Twitch's classes. Aside from the PDF and a few scribes who seemed keen on their change of lifestyle, all the little buggers seemed bent on avoiding as much work as possible. If we didn't keep an eye on them and send them back, then they would all wind up lazing around with Doc's band of old fogies, asthmatic, and land whales. Of course, <laughs> avoiding hard work was a perfectly understandable goal. In fact, most of us swore by it, but that sort of thinking was supposed to be reserved for proper gen- proper guardsmen. I don't know why I read that as gentlemen. These are not a crew of gentlemen. 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 No, they're totally, they're totally <laughs> supreme gentlemen. They're legends. Gentlemen. Yes, gentlemen? they are. Did anybody get a red spy on the way here? No. No. Then we still then have, we have a problem. problem. Continue, guy. Unless you were done. Okay. We spent a lot of time forcing the lazy bastards to work, and it didn't endear us to them. If anything, the weapons drills were going worse. Nubby and Cutter were working their asses off, but every damned recruit had a different weapon, and most of them had no clue how to use them. While standard guard weapon drills can teach almost anyone how to use a LAS gun, they aren't very good for explaining how to use a side-fed auto gun, a bolt-action anti-armor rifle, or a bloody crossbow. Bloody crossbow! Nobody spent more time. I'm not doing that. Figuring out how to use each trainee's randomest weapon, then teaching them how to actually shoot. Cutter wasn't doing much better with the close quarters combat training. He couldn't even he couldn't even blame the trainee's random weapons, since after one of his one of the scribes lost a finger during his first lesson, he confiscated everything and just handed out wooden sticks. The problem was that everyone was either overexcited or afraid of getting hit. Also, Cutter was just a really bad teacher, and most of the scribes were terrified of him. He wasn't terrible at pulling his, or he was terrible at pulling his blows. Looked like he was genuinely trying to murder whoever he was practicing with, and really couldn't explain how to properly use a weapon without demonstrating at full speed on a live target. The few trainees that weren't scared shitless of Cutter, as a complete, if it wasn't scared shitless, thought of Cutter as a complete simpleton, and generally ignored everything he said or wandered off at the first opportunity. Except the priest, that is. Those damn priests took a shine to him and seemed to think that his berserk fighting style was the best shit ever. Before we knew it had a, before we knew it, he had a, we had a whole group of idiots who thought the best way to fight was by recklessly charging the nearest enemy. This had the side effect of making the scribes afraid of the priests. We never got, we never got to the whole lecturing or group exercise part of the plan during the first week. The PT and drills took too much time. There were over a dozen injuries that week, ranging from sprains to burns to gunshot wounds. Things were not going well, and the trainees' morale was getting low. Scribes were generally terrified and exhausted, and (coughs) obviously thought of us as a bunch of dumb (coughs) grunts that were only there to torment them. Most of them seemed sure that it was either some kind of 
bureaucratic screw-up or a pointless formality before they got cushy desk jobs. As time went on, they got more and more snippy, and none of us could think of any way to deal with the problem without falling back on the guard method, i.e. beating the shit out of anyone who complained. Unfortunately, Sergeant Doc vetoed the solution on the grounds that the Inquisition probably considered these scribes to be more valuable than the average guard trainee. It would frown on any breakage. On this... On top of this, the scum and priests were developing some worrying habits. The criminals were a minorly, relatively minor issue. They quickly figured out we were usually too busy keeping the scribes in line to watch them, and were generally slacking off. They were staying out of the way. Their general contempt for us wasn't doing our reputation any favors, and they persisted in antagonizing all of the other recruits. At Doc's suggestion, Nubby was put in charge of winning over his criminal brethren, and explaining this fine line between malingering and malicious lingering. Meanwhile, the priests were developing that special flavor of crazy, mad zealotry with a dash of pyromania that we recognized from every damned inquisitorial cleric that we'd worked with. They were far too eager for a chance to use their flamers on a live target for our liking, and the relationship between them and their less-than-holy fellows was getting rather strained. It was obviously only a matter of time before one of these priests snapped and tried to purify someone. We weren't exactly sure how to deal with the problem before it happened. Our attempts to convince them to stop being crazy and detailed explanations of what would happen if they lit anyone on fire without our direct orders were just met with blank stares and mutters that sounded like damned is the sympathizer. Finally, and to our considerable surprise, the PDF were causing problems too. Most of them were solid troopers and we'd have We'd have been happy to have them at our back any day of the week, but there were two damned cadet commissars mixed in with them, and they were not happy about taking orders from the lowly guardsmen. Those two commissar wannabes screwed things up to no end. These weren't the fun, happy, drink and play cards with the men commissars. These were the ones with the whips. We knew their type. They'd probably been itching for their final promotion so they could start performing field executions without asking permission first. Both of them probably soiled their pants in glee when they got a job offer from the Inquisition. Anyway... They were all set to start climbing the ladder towards becoming the scariest bastards in the Imperium, and then a bunch of lowly guardsmen came along and started bossing them around. They were not happy campers, and neither were we. Our problem was that, as guardsmen, we were bloody well programmed to fear and obey any commissar we met, which made it damned hard to give them orders. Hell, it was all we could do to not sal- do not to salute them. Both of them performed well on the field and range, but they ignored most of our half-hearted orders and bossed around all the other recruits, especially the PDF troopers. Those poor buggers had apparently known the commissars for a while and were absolutely terrified of them. The end result was that our authority began to really suffer, and the trainees' morale dropped even further. We made a few attempts to convince the commissars to behave, but even appeals to the importance of proper discipline and troop morale, which was the whole purpose of commissars in the first place, failed. They just knew, with absolute certainty, that they were better than us in every way and should have been in charge. Doc suggested transferring them to the other team, Nubby and Twitch were in favor of just shooting them, and Cutter actually liked them, since they were good sparring partners. Sarge decided to give it a little longer and see if we couldn't straighten them out. Eventually, we got the fitness regimen and weapons weapons drills running smoothly enough for us to devote some time to lectures and team exercises. Neither of these went well. Lectures don't work well when students don't respect their teacher or believe anything they say for that matter. When we talked about our previous missions, they'd nitpick everything we said, analyzing every stupid decision we made, or pointing out all the things that couldn't possibly have happened. Twitch got in a heated argument about whether a box full of orcs could possess a regiment of guardsmen, and Cutter 
decked one of the scribes after he kept pointing out that a Narlock couldn't survive in a spaceship. The priest would interrupt our stories with accusations of heresy, and those damned commissars started riding our asses about not following standard procedures, especially the part where we didn't purge, pur- purge the Orky Regiment. I can't speak today. Jesus Christ. It's okay. None of us can speak ever. Yes. Except Matt. It's all good. Matt, Matt, Matt can always speak. Matt's always a no, speaker. Maybe. Sometimes. Sometimes I go... Sometimes Matt's, Matt's like a solid Bluetooth connection because he's a good speaker. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> the only ones who didn't cause problems were the scum and PDF troopers, but they seemed more interested in enjoying the stories than learning anything. Instead of serving as a demonstration of effective strategies, our evening story times turned into a sort of ag- horrible, aggravating torture. The practical demonstrations went a bit better, but not much. While it was hard to argue about the truthfulness of a lecture on the planting and diffusal of mines, the students tended to question why it would be their job to worry about that sort of thing when there'd be tech priests around, or guardsmen for that matter. It was damned hard to get the little buggers to understand the importance of being a well-rounded agent instead of a specialist, especially when they could point out that we were pretty damn specialized ourselves. They kept complaining that we were here that they were here to learn the inquisitorial investigators. Not guardsmen. Well, except the PDF troopers. They were the one with the idea of being guardsmen. Bless their little olive drab hearts. The team exercises were a complete fiasco. We worked damn hard with the admin and his tech priest to set up realistic combat scenarios, but the trainees seemed hell-bent on ruining them. It wasn't just that they kept failing spectacularly. They also tended to interrupt things with pointless complaints about the exercise's quality. It's utterly infuriating to hear one of your recruits bitching about the special effects instead of properly covering their teammates. Eventually, we started leading the exercises ourselves, just to keep everyone moving. That stopped most of the complaining, but it's much harder to fix stupid, stupid, so almost every run still ended in failure. The big problem was the scribes, who had a tendency to trip over their feet and collapse from exhaustion. They weren't much better when upright either. Somehow they managed to shoot their teammates, occasionally themselves, and more often than their targets. It was amazing. If we used live rounds, over half the trainees would have died. As, as it was, the priest managed to torch an entire test area and badly burned a few of their fellows. It was enough to make a guardsman cry, but those test scenarios were no, nowhere as bad as the competitive exercises. Imagine a large group of children playing scrumball. What the fuck is scrumball? Is this like a British thing? I, I don't know. Hold on. Scrumball. Warhammer. Um... It's probably it very seems, dangerous. It's like rugby. It's rugby. Okay. Just from the picture that we're seeing, that makes sense. Yes. Uh, now, imagine imagine a large group of children playing scrumball. The big ones knocking over the little ones, the mean ones ganging up on the meek ones, and the bossy ones ordering the other kids around. Now, arm everyone. There weren't any deaths, but that's all you could really say for it. There were petty arguments over objectives. Teams would frequently dissolve into infighting. There was no tactical coordination. And no matter who won each exercise, the scribes on both teams lost. Aside from the usual injuries, there were two shankings, a few cases of excessive whipping, and one of the clerics bit an ear off. Doc and the base surgeon managed to reattach it, but that scribe wasn't over, wasn't ever going to look at priests the same way after that. We were about ready to cave in and ask the other training team for help when the admins told us he spotted a nice milk run for our trainees. All of us were ecstatic. We figured a nice, simple combat mission 
was just what was needed to straighten everyone out. In a way, we were right. The mission did in, did result in a lot of straightening, just not in the way that we thought. Pride Month. That's, That's very ominous. <laughs> oh god, I just, I, I just, jelking, jelking is what came up in my head. The <laughs> the admin had a nice arrangement with the local govern local government. <laughs> Shut the fuck up and read. You are a menace to society. Sergio brings up you, you said joking and started laughing to the point where you can't read. No one even responded. What the hell is wrong with us? Actually, um, is it okay if I read this one? Because my mom's going to be home in like two minutes. And I'm going to need to help her get food. Okay. Okay. The admin had a nice arrangement with the local government. A few of his contacts kept them apprised of any missions that could be used for training, and if the instructors accepted, the local forces would stand back and let the trainees have a crack at the problem. This was a pretty agreeable arrangement for all parties involved. Now, we didn't have any illusions about the quality of our trainees. They were absolute shit. But this was the milkiest of milk runs. A feral orc raid had crawled out of a section of the swamps where they bred, sacked a few farms, and then ran back to their hovels with the loot. A fair-sized counteroffensive was being formed by the locals to purge the nest, possibly with the help of the other team's trainees. But we knew that was far, far out of our pathetic batches league. Instead, we had our eyes on one of the sacked farms where a few straggling Gretchen and Squigs were still wandering around. Our trainees could fly in, have a nice, simple game of Hunt the Gretchen while we watched to make sure everyone stayed safe. It was just about the easiest mission you could possibly ask for. Hell, a grocery run in a lower hive hab block was more dangerous. These were feral Gretchen and completely ordinary squigs. They were weak, stupid, cowardly, and armed with nothing but knives and pointy sticks. Our trainees would be armed with high-quality ranged weaponry, and they could just slowly sweep the area, fucking gun down the little buggers before they even got close. We put together a clean and simple plan of attack, made sure everyone understood their role and even checked their weapons for them. There was no way that anything could go wrong. The op was practically foolproof. We would have trusted it to a bunch of children with slingshots. And it was a visual marvel how much they fucked it up. All right, I'll be back. All right, Sergio, now you're going to read. All right. <clears throat> the locals had a cordon set up around the farm to keep the orcoids contained and had given us a command tent to sit in while the trainees deployed. This means that we were a few hundred meters away when the screaming started. But from what we could piece together when the smoke settled, it went something like this. Squad 3 was advancing across the southern field when their gunner, the scribe who'd picked up the heavy stubber, spotted a Gretchen fighting with a squig in a nearby ditch. We heard him call in the sighting, and then he, both he and the squad may open fire. A few seconds later, they stopped firing and announced their intention to advance and confirm the kill. The heavy weapon scribe walked over to the Gretchen and Squig, but instead of just headshotting them both and moving on, he prodded them with the barrel of his stubber. A squig jumped up and bit his ankle, causing the scribe to fall face first into the ditch. This, in turn, prompted the wounded Gretchen to latch onto his head and start scratching and biting like only an, an angry Gretchen can. 
The scribe leapt to his feet, flailing his arms and screaming over the open channel until a squad mate removed the Gretchen. Unfortunately, said removal was performed using a hand cannon. And while the Gretchen was very thoroughly removed, so was most of the scribe's head. Then, while the team killer panicked and tried to perform first aid on the headless corpse, a second unnoticed Gretchen seized the abandoned heavy stubber. In the end, there were seven deaths, four injuries, and three arrests. Damn. Of the seven deaths, only three were directly caused by the Greenskins. It sounds also, racist. Also, a heavy if you don't know, Kai, a heavy stubber is just like a like a like an LMG, basically. Okay. Think of like think of like a like an MG forty two or like a like something of that of that type of gun. Okay. Um, Good to know. It's just a it's a big machine it's gun. It's a big gun. Big machine gun. Shoot fast. Reload not often. Well, that's not very good that they got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, so the first death was the team killer who was gunned down by the Gretchen with the stubber. Oh, yeah, that's why that was bad. Another pair of Gretchen accounted for a cleric who had a little too much faith in the emperor's protection and too little sense to run when his gun ran dry. The final one was a scribe who dove for cover in a mulch pit, which is already occupied by a half dozen squigs. As for the others, good old-fashioned friendly fire took down the poor PDF trooper who was ki- who killed the Gretchen with the stubber, as well as the scribe whose death started the whole mess. The last two deaths were commissar-related. Most of the stubber-armed Gretchen's fire had actually been directed at Squad 5. The Xenos' poorly aimed shots probably hadn't come anywhere near actually hitting them, but the tracers flying overhead were enough to spook the two scribes in the squad. The two nerds ran for it, ignoring the orders and accusation of cowardice coming from the cadet commissar in charge of their squad. Enraged by this blatant cowardice and disregard for his authority, the commissar drew his sidearm and placed three rounds through one of the scribes' backs and drew a bead on the other. Before he could get the shot off, though, a stray round, which neither the criminal or PDF trooper in his squad saw the source of, took him in the head. Someone stabbed his corpse a few, his corpse a few times as well. But we put that down to a Gretchen who must have somehow gotten a hold of a Type 7 Princeps Special Switchblade. I have no idea what that means. Knife. Uh, knife, I guess. Knife. A knife switchblade, okay. Yeah, a switchblade is a type of knife. You like well, I know, thing. but I do not know what Type 7 Princeps Special is referring to. I know what a switchblade is. I mean, it's a Princeps Special, you know? Okay. As no. far as injuries went, the worst one was a cleric who got a badly burned. is a member of the... Adeptus Mechanicus Collegia Titanica. This yeah, illuminates everything for me. It's, 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 it's a guy who is in charge of the giant robots, and he gets a fancy switchblade because he's in charge. Okay. Damn. Well, that's why he wants to... The Gretchen wants to go stabby, stabby. He's got the special or, knife. Or, or one of the soldiers stabbed him, and they blamed it on a Gretchen. That could also be true. That's probably what it is. That's my guess. You don't know. You never know until maybe later in the story. 
As far as injuries went, the worst one was a cleric who got badly burned when he used his flamer inside an enclosed space. An enclosed space that just so happened to be made of wood and filled with hay. (laughs) Aside from that, two trainees were badly hit by stray shots, and a scribe broke both his legs when he tried to take cover and proved to be a very deep and very dry well. There were a few dozen lesser injuries spread across the whole group, but those were the only really nasty ones. All in all, we lost 11 men, nearly a quarter of our trainees, but that wasn't the end of it. We'd provided all the trainees with comm beads, figuring that good communications would help prevent screw-ups. None of us had thought to limit what frequencies they could transmit on. One of the panicking scribes had decided the situation was FUBAR and called for backup. This by itself wasn't a bad thing. Hell, we were the ones who taught them how to do it. Calling for help when the shit got rough was a nice, sane reaction, and we all endorsed it. But not over the emergency channel that everyone within 50 kicks was licked to. As our squad mopped up the few surviving greenskins and docs started triaging the wounded, the cavalry arrived. Several platoons of a local PDF, a pair of chimeras, and a half dozen flyers descended on the farm, all of them intent on rescuing our trainees from some sort of surprise attack by the orcs. We just barely managed to prevent another round of friendly fire. The reinforcements did help Doc treat the wounded and might have saved a few lives, but it was just about the most embarrassing moment in our careers. Sarge was vibrating between incandescent rage and horrible shame as he talked to, to officer after officer, thanking them for the help and assuring them that the situation was under control. Doc kept himself busy with the wounded and avoid talking to anyone while Twitch and Cutter collected all the surviving trainees. Nubby just vanished. He tended to do that when people started asking awkward questions. The cherry on top of everything was that when another group of flyers landed and the other training team stepped out with their spiffy-looking recruits in tow, they looked over the dead and wounded, asked a few of our trainees what had happened, then walked over to where Sarge was negotiating the release of three trainees who had attempted to appropriate a chimera and desert. Words? We're had. <clears throat> None of us were strangers to the odd reaming. It's just part of being a guardsman, in a way. Reaming. What? Rim what? job joke. Okay. All right. Mr. Sex on the brain. And balls. Mm, in a way, people yelling at you is almost comforting. It's a reminder that the world hasn't changed. You're still right where you always were, at the bottom of the pile, getting shit on by literally everyone else while you hold their asses up. Any of one of us could stoic our way through a dressing down without blinking. This one crossed the line, though. <clears throat> it was one thing to be chewed out by your superiors in private for mistakes made by you and your men. It is quite another to be berated by a group of your colleagues in front of your subordinates and allies for every damned screw-up since the Emperor decided that Horus would make a good war master. They even had the trainees chime in, whining about unfair treatment and poor lesson quality. That surviving cadet commissar was especially vocal, throwing out accusations of incompetence, cowardice, and heresy. Sarge got the worst of it, being the nominal superior and the first member of the squad they could find. The rest of us watched as he went from embarrassed to ashamed to angry, back to ashamed, then straight past angry, furious, and murderous to a sort of zen state. The man was beyond anger, beyond shame, and beyond fear. He was cold and calculating and was taking note of every single thing they said. 
the lecture petered to an end, and when the psyker on the other team started looking nervous and pulling at her teammates, suggesting that they still had a mission to do and they really ought to be going right now, as the other team got back into the gunships and flew away, Twitch asked if he should shoot and hit his detonators before they got out of range. Sarge just shook his head. We gathered everyone up and headed back to base. There was no talking during the flight or when we landed. No reprimands or lectures or punishments. Just directions to go sleep. That night, we re-evaluated our lesson plans. And this would not happen again. Seregios? Yes. Uh, <clears throat> PT started an hour before dawn. Anyone who didn't get up was dumped out of bed, tied by the leg to a servitor and dragged out onto the field. There were no separate groups this time. Everyone was doing the same drills we'd do, done as snot-nosed recruits. If you complained, that you got a licking from Sarge or Cutter. If you collapsed, you got a stem shot from Doc, or were left where you fell. If you thought you were malingering, Nubby would go over and give you a few kicks. And since he ever got those augmented legs, Nubby could really put the boot in. Once the sun was good up, Good enough. We led, dragged, we we led or dragged them all to the firing ranges where Twitch had laid out all of their weapons. Next, to the rows of fancy firearms and melee weapons were se were several large crates, which the admin had busted his ass to get overnight. Sarge walked down the line of sweating trainees and asked each one to go get their weapons. When they went to pick up their auto gun or flamer or crossbow, it was yanked out of their hands, and they were given a battered last gun and dull bayonet instead. Triggered a few complaints from the stupider recruits. They raised several points about the low quality of the weapons and their inexperience with them, and then tried to demand their old guns back. Sarge calmly explained that they were getting their last guns because shut up, shut up, and soldier, soldier. He then hit anyone who kept complaining. They got the message pretty quickly, and we outfitted everyone with standard guardsman's kit with optional toothless chainsword. Well, almost everyone, the remaining cadet commissar refused. He got the death grip on his weapons and launched into a tirade about dignity and such, which ended with him being clubbed over the head by Cutter and dragged away by one of the servitors. <clears throat> At night, we stripped him, wrapped him in duct tape, and shipped him. Excuse <sighs> yawning. Bless you. To the other training base with a note saying that he requested a transfer. He was not missed. The next few days were nothing but PT and weapon drill. There were no team exercises, no demonstrations, and no lectures. Nothing but sweat, yelling, and as much food and sleep as they could get. No one was exempt. It didn't matter if you were old or weak or overweight. The only way to get a break was to be too sick or too injured to stand, and the second doc or the base surgeon okayed it, you were back on the field. None of us knew how to be or train proper inquisitorial agents. But we damn well knew how to soldier. We were going to make every one of them into a guardsman or kill them trying. Once everyone began to adapt to the new regimen, we split them into squads and made the PDF troopers squad leaders. With both the commissars gone, the troopers really started to shine. Every one of them proved to be a good leader, and they were put in in charge of keeping their squaddies in line and leading the drills. After all, they'd been through boot before and knew exactly how it should work. With most of the basic training being handled by the troopers, we started doing demos and lectures again. This time, we didn't even try to fit our lessons to the trainees' roles. Instead, we just focused on teaching what every guardsman should know and didn't put up with any arguments. It didn't matter whether or not something that it whether or not it was something that an inquisitorial agent needed to know. We said it was important, and they were going to learn it whether they wanted to or not. 
Twitch taught, taught demolitions and defusal. He made sure every trainee knew how to plant explosives, set traps, put up alarms, and at least appreciated how tricky defusal was. He would rig realistic-looking and sounding explosives under their beds and pre- periodically send servitors to check their perimeter security in the middle of the night. None of the trainees liked them, but they learned fast. Doc and Sarge made sure everyone knew standard Imperial Guard combat doctrine, or at least the useful parts. Chances were they never needed another correct way to call in an artillery strike or when to dig a foxhole. But it saved our lives in the past, so they were going to learn it. The field medicine lessons were a little more useful, and there were even some nice demos when the trainees hurt themselves. Doc practically glowed with pride the first time he got to demonstrate how to treat a lasgon wound on a whimpering priest. Cutter mostly stuck to close quarters combat training, though he did throw in a few confusing lessons on the proper filing of Munitorum paperwork. There were still problems with the scribes being afraid of him, but the PDF troopers were usually able to assist, generally by abusing the terrified scribe until they decided it was easier to face Cutter. Nubby's lectures were dedicated to scrounging, weapon maintenance, and how much criminality you can get away with. The shadier trainees found these lessons surprisingly educational and started warming up to the little bugger. The rest of us didn't ask where they went on their field trips. We all came together to teach our, most, our single most important class, not dying in the Inquisition. Now, that we'd established a proper, respectful atmosphere, our stories were much better received. We started slowly and laboriously going over every single battle we'd fought and every death we'd witnessed. We pointed out how explosives solved almost every problem, how psychers tended to ruin everything for everyone, and how often our problems were caused by our superiors. We crammed our heads with little pieces of common sense, each one backed up by horrible death or surprising victory, and made sure they could repeat each and every one back to us. It might not have been the traditional Inquisition curriculum, but we'd hope that none of our scribes would wind up reading demonic tomes and that our clerics wouldn't die leading suicidal charges. Of course, everything wasn't magically better. Some of the trainees couldn't take the strain, and others tried to desert. We didn't waste any time on frail ones. They were handed over to the administrator in the hope that he'd find a place for them somewhere else. The deserters were retrieved and fitted with the good old-fashioned penal legion collars for a few days while we explained how preferable death was to angering the bloody Inquisition. After that was fully explained, we removed the collars and offered them another chance to run. There were no takers. Finally, there were also a few recruits who were just... So abysmally bad with their weapons that we just gave up on them. There's only so much you can do for someone who hits themselves more consistently than their own frickin' targets. And, between the incompetence, the wounded, and the unfit, we lost another eight trainees before we started doing exercises again. But the ones who could hack it performed much better than they had before. We ran them through the usual guard training drills, complete with pig guts and razor wire. Everyone hated it, and even the PDF troopers complained about the stupidity of learning trench warfare as an inquisitorial agent, but they still went through the exercises, and that's all we cared about. We kept making the drills worse and worse, with Twitch adding dozens of little surprises, Doc and the base cogboys transforming servitors into horrible monstrosities, and Nubby bellowing horribly retarded orders at them while they drilled. They bitched, they moaned, and began to really hate our guts, but that hatred was the final ingredient needed to really bring them together. When we started the competitive exercises again, they actually worked like teams. The scribes were still the weak link in almost every squad, but their squad mates and leaders began to actually work to support them instead of ignoring or mocking them. They were doing damned well. We didn't let them get overconfident. If a team was kicking too much ass, we'd enter the exercise ourselves and show them how it was really done.
After a few months <clears throat> of grueling training, things were definitely starting to shape up and we began to think about other projects. None of us except maybe Cutter had forgotten the way the other team had lectured us in front of everyone. It might have just it might have been justified, and we couldn't deny that it had been really what kicked us into gear, but they crossed several lines and we felt a little revenge was called for. Nothing too bad, mind you. After all, the training had to continue, just enough to put them in their place, maybe boost our trainee's morale a little bit. Now anyone can hatch a revenge plot. <clears throat> it takes a special type of person to come up with one that perfectly balances nefarious aggravation, embarrassment, and quasi-legality. Specifically, you need someone with a complete lack of scruples, a penchant for antagonizing behavior, and what might be called a criminal mind. Which is something one to say, someone like Nubby Nubs. Of course, we didn't let him plan it all by himself. We learned that lesson. But we had a few interesting ideas which served as the basis for our plot. The admin was asked to keep, a, out, keep an eye out for a few things that might fit the bill. And before long, we got lucky. A handful of carefully worded messages were sent. Some palms were greased. And a few interesting rumors were started. Soon, both inquisitorial training teams were informed that some mass disappearances were happening in the slums of one of the planet's major cities. This was the perfect opportunity for trainees to test their investigative skills. We suspended our drills, called in some flyers, and got some trainees disguised as harmless civilians. Which is to say that we told them to leave their helmets behind and throw coats over their flak armor. Once their cutting disguises were in place, Sarge gathered up everyone and informed them of the situation. He explained what we had heard and who we'd heard it from, and then asked to remember the first rule of being a guardsman. Of course, there are a few first rules of being a guardsman, and there was a little confusion about which one Sarge meant. It wasn't, the gun is always loaded, stay the fuck in cover, or if at first you don't succeed, call in an airstrike. And it definitely wasn't, it's not stealing if they're not from your unit and they didn't really need it. Nubby got a hard look from Sarge after that one. With a weary sigh, Sarge explained that the first rule of being a guardsman in the Inquisition is... If the job looks hard, make sure you actually have to do it first. None of the trainees seemed impressed with this piece of wisdom, at least not until the rest of us volunteered some reasons why these disappearances might not be their problem. Then, because subtlety is completely overrated, we also suggested a few things that could be done with their time in the city if this turned out to be someone else's problem. That got them thinking, and as everyone boarded the flyers, we heard the squad leaders talking. They were already brainstorming who they could dump this mess on and what to do with their with their R&R &R afterwards. Bless their weaselly little hearts. There was no point messing around with the subtle entrances. We just landed at the largest police barricade, blatantly flashed our credentials, and turned things over to the trainees. We watched, tears in our eyes, as they practically marched onto the scene, looking exactly like a bunch of guardsmen trying unsuccessfully to look like civvies. They were growing up so fast. The squad split up and stomped around the cordoned area with a complete lack of subtlety, loudly asking questions about whether there were any evil cults, demons, or mutants around. If you knew where to look, you could see the other team's cleverly disguised or concealed trainees staring with their mouths open. Within minutes, one of their instructors appeared out of the shadows and asked us just what in the Emperor's name we thought we were doing here. While Sarge was the the one the agent approached, the whole squad stepped back and let Nubby be the spokesperson. It was just funnier that way. The conversation was needlessly long and incredibly aggravating for the agent. It was hard as hell to keep a straight face as Nubby ignored accusations of incompetence and blatantly lied about our trainee's expertise in tracking, interrogation, and general investigation. 
Adventure, eventually, the exasperated agent gave up on the logic and tried bartering, prompting Sarge to step in and cut a deal. Our trainees were pretty much done here, so we'd go off and investigate somewhere else in exchange for the other team agreeing to hold nightly meetings with us to discuss findings and pro progress. After all, if they were so much better than us, our trainees needed to see how it was done, and maybe, just maybe, our boys would find something they didn't. That done, we marshaled the trainees up and left the area. Once everyone went back to the flyers, we handed operational control over to the squad leaders and adopted a role of observers. One of us tagged along with each group as they followed their leads, answering any questions they had and occasionally making rather unsubtle suggestions. That night, everyone met up in a, in a nice warehouse near the local PDF base. To our delight, one of the squads had attained it by simply asking nicely, and they had split their day securing the, the perimeter and sneaking in naps. At the meet, as the meeting time approached, a few of the other team's trainers and trainees found their way in and provided comments to the members in the field. With When everything was set up, Sarge shouted our troops into order and suggested that both teams should take turns presenting the facts they'd gathered. The other, teams, the other training team's leader agreed. The agent explained that his trainees at the scene had found signs of struggle and a few emblems that matched known known cult, imperial or otherwise. He talked a lot about footprints, dropped items, and other stuff that, frankly, fucking none of us listened to. When he wound down, Sarge thanked him and asked Doc's squad to present their findings. The squad leader stepped forward and made his report in a nice, clear parade ground voice. His team had gone to the local Arbatees precinct and asked if they'd seen any heretics, demons, xenos, or mutants recently, and if they knew any reason that groups of people would be disappearing. They had, of course not seen a damn thing, and had suggested looking for slavers or PDF recruiters as a cause of the disappearances. Sarge thanked the trainee and turned the floor back over to the agent. Neither he nor his trainees seemed very impressed with the short report, but they didn't make any comments and continued with their findings. The other team's trainees had tracked down a few witnesses and examined their minds and... Fucking no psychic activity, but definite signs of cults. Once he was done, Sarge's team reported that none of the local temples had seen any Xenos, demons, or mutants, but the Church of the Divine Man and his living saints was pretty emphatic about the third convocation of the Emperor's Blessing being a bunch of heretics. They'd also suggested that the disappearances were a sign of imminent rapture, or that the Mechanicus was making an extra-large batch of servitors. But then, the agent was getting a little frustrated, and obviously noticed how little attention most of our trainees paid to his team's findings, though we, we were at least making sure none of them fell asleep. One of his trainees gave an exceedingly boring report about surveillance records and people wearing matching robes, which is, of course, a classic sign of cultists. Some of our trainees snickered at this. Do you guys want to wrap it up here? Yeah, this is probably a, probably a good spot to wrap it up. Sorry, I started laughing because of the, the funny family guy image. All right, yeah, and we, we will know that we stopped on the funny family guy image about halfway through the page. Uh, we will awesome. catch you guys after Perfect. We'll yes, we'll catch you guys after the ad break. See ya. Hello, and welcome back to the ad break. Uh, before we begin finishing... Welcome back to the, the ad break. <laughs> welcome back to the, the this section is the ad break. The ad break. This, <laughs> this is, is the, the ad break. break. Welcome to the ad break. I'm your host, uh, Greg Chudley. 
What are you selling? Ketamine. Oh, damn. Actually, I have an idea that I want to sell to Matt real quick because I mentioned it to him earlier. So, remember how I pitched you the idea for a Gamers Against Weed SCP where it's like those memes where it's like the last three characters you played as in in a video game have to save you from X manga character that you just read. Um... And, and, and like the, the SCP is like that meme and then when you see it like like it materializes the characters and they don't dematerialize until either they defeated the villain or you're dead I came up with a like, subset of that where it's the ones where it's like well, well so the, the meme is like the last character from a video game you get to have sex with and so so in this scenario it's 2B but because 2B is an android she's got a way like a ton canonically it's just described that the poor person got their fucking pelvis smashed sergio is it sad that i knew where you were going with this as soon as you started talking about it because the first thing that popped (laughs) into my head when you started talking was your birth month the character (laughs) that's lied to your birth month tied to your birth month is gonna protect you the other 11 (laughs) are going to fuck you <laughs> yeah, it would be like that, but it's a novelist that actually occurs. Like, the, like the other nice. the other eleven are gonna are gonna destroy your butthole. Do you live? <laughs> <laughs> it's like your your birth month is like Master Chief, and it's like it's like fucking like like fucking Doom guy Samus Aran, fucking <laughs> fucking. 9S from fucking near <laughs> and like Dante from Devil May Cry come to your house and they're like we're here for Sergio's asshole <laughs> imagine imagine okay. you wake up at 2 in the morning and it's the Aqua Teen Hunger Force that says fucking meat wads crawling his way up no. man, it stinks. Oh, no. Oh, man. So he had Mexican food. I don't know if oh. I can do this. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I also had the idea. <laughs> last outlandish idea. Wondertainment mm-hmm. cock rings that enhance our, our, your penis. Our outlandish ideas, our, our outlandish ideas in the SCV community are, are already so well received. Controversial figure. I don't know how it yes. can get any worse. No, no, but, but, but hear me out. Hear me out, Jake. Like, 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 there's one that adds like a, a scope attachment that like what? pulls up like a periscope. <laughs> that sounds like a, that sounds like a, you know what? No, that sounds like a da- a dado article. Like like da- like dado tactical <laughs> fucking AR fifteen cockering. Oh like, it's called the it's called the pencil and it like makes it really skinny, but it's like prehensile. One of these monster hunter monsters is gonna protect you. The other eleven are gonna put you in their cloaca. <laughs> no. <laughs> Do you survive? I'm not sure there's enough monsters that have cloacas for that. I I I assume that all monsters in Monster Hunter are have cloacas because they're all like the dinosaurs. I mean, as long as none of them are like yeah, possibly yeah. 
If if, if they're all modern like lizards variant of a dinosaur or a bird. If modern lizards okay, so and they all birds have cloacas. have cloacas, and I would assume that ancient drag or ancient like birds and lizards also have cloacas. Hmm. The real question would be: Would any of them have a hemipene? The snakes would. What he- what are- yes, the snakes would. Biologists, what is a hemipene? Some might. Uh, it's a dubstep penis. It's like the penis pussy. It's two penises. You know why they call it a dubstep penis? Because there's two of them. Because there's two of them. You know, the person who made that joke was a was a Nazi. So by by platforming the joke, you're platforming fascism on our podcast. That joke was Damn. so fucking dumb. I loved it. You're platforming right, fascism on our podcast. Let's, right, let's, uh, let's get the reading. I'll start us off. We are so on where the were fam- we? Funny, the, the, the funny family guy picture with Stewie family saying guy a word moment. That, that I'm not allowed to that say we on this can't, podcast. That we can't say on this podcast. But it starts we are with allowed a to, We are allowed to, to, to make little reference to it on the SCP wiki with a content warning. All right, Twitch's team yeah, chatted with the local. All right, I've got, a, I've, I've got a good way of getting around it. <clears throat> what? Are you liberal? <laughs> Was that your Stewie Griffin impression? It was an attempt. With a I, give it, I, 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 give it, I give it a C. Yeah, it was alright. Before securing the warehouse we were in and verified that they hadn't seen anything weird, the PDF had implied that maybe all of the disappearing people had just suddenly decided to move to a different city, mm. and it probably wouldn't be anything sinister. At this point, the agent and his trainees began to raise objections about the quality of our investigation. They seemed to think that we were all... Do- all we were doing was asking random people if anything was wrong, then just accepting whatever they said. None of us saw anything wrong with this, though. So we just ignored their objections until they got on with their own reports. Another batch of the team of trainees had done some snooping in the sewers, and a few underworld establishments with mixed success. But those more waylaid by gangers had, of course, found more evidence of cultist activity. A short argument was triggered by a nameless wise-ass in the audience, pointing out that the agent and his trainees could probably find evidence of cultist activities in their breakfast cereal. The mood was not improved by Nubby's team, helpfully confirming a sighting of one of the other trainees being worked over with a pipe wrench in an alley. They had thought about intervening, but didn't want to blow the man's cover, so instead they asked the wrench wielder for directions to a notorious local bar and left the trainee to his super-secret mission. After that, they visited several local underworld leaders, verified that they hadn't seen anything fishy or perpetrated any mass kidnappings, and politely asked them not to actually kill anyone until the investigation was over. The criminals had suggested the disappearances might have been caused by a press-ganging band from a Navy or merchant vessel. On the way out, they had spotted the battered trainee lying in a trash pile and generously paid a few children to drag him to a public Medicaid. Agent was starting to turn a funny shade of red now, and the report for Cutter's team was the final straw. They had gone to the local administrative headquarters, but couldn't get an appointment until tomorrow and decided to just call it a day. All of us were accused of horrible incompetence, astounding laziness, and quite a few other things. We bore these accusations like the stoic guardsmen we were, but some of the trainees felt the need to respond by accusing the agent and his trainees of ridiculous paranoia. Charge quieted them down and reminded them that paranoia wasn't always a bad thing, and pointed out how often Twitches had saved our lives. Being compared to Twitch did nothing to improve the agent's mood, and he stormed out with his trainees in tow. As he left, Doc ran out after him and apologized for our behavior and lack of useful findings. This might have mollified the agent, but Doc followed it up with a strong assurance that everything would be sorted out when we got our appointment with the administratum. Once they were gone, everyone broke down into hysterical laughter. 
our trainees weren't stupid and they had fully understood that we were playing with a very stacked deck from the start here. It had become a game. The stupider they thought we were and the more time they spent chasing imaginary cultists, the funnier it would be when we proved them wrong. We went to sleep, proud of our trainees. They were adopting the proper, cynical guard outlook so fast. In the morning, we all went down to the administratum for the meeting. Most of the trainees were left outside, but Cutter's squad went in and we sat and watched as they went through the questions. The head scribe assured the squad that there were no heretics, demons, or xenos around, and only a small number of minor mutants, according to the last census. As far as the disappearances went, they didn't know anything about slavers, and neither the PDF nor Mechanicus had filed for a recruitment sweep. However, a rogue trader with a permit to press gang had been cleared to operate in that area, and now that the scribe had looked at it, there'd been a bit of a bureaucratic mix-up. Apparently, a key piece of paperwork had been misfiled during press ganging application process, and the local authorities had not been properly informed. So, it was all just a misunderstanding. Imagine that. Someone just needed to go get the press gang and crew to fill out the paperwork again, as well as deliver a new batch of identification badges to them, since they'd somehow been issued some sort of decorative novelty pins covered with squiggly lines instead of the proper ones. To the apologetic head scribe's delight, and without any prompting from us, our trainees immediately volunteered to go get the papers signed and delivered to deliver the proper badges. After all, it was their duty to get this mess sorted out as soon as possible. A few hours later, we were all drinking and laughing in the rather nice hotel which the leader of the press gangers was staying at. The man was very apologetic once we explained all the trouble that had been caused by the little mix-up. He promised to make sure his paperwork was properly filed in the future and invited us to have a few drinks in the hotel restaurant on him. A message was sent to the other team telling them we'd solved the whole mystery and recommending that they head home, and then we let the trainees off the leash and had a nice chat with the press ganger while we waited. It took a while before someone on the other team came over to see what the hell our message was about, but none of us minded. When the sneaky-looking trainee poked his head into the restaurant, he saw all of our students having a pretty wild party while our squad sat like kings at feast. Cutter grabbed the little bugger the second we saw him, dragged him up to our table, and prompted the rather tipsy press ganger to explain the situation while Nubby filled in the drink-induced blanks. The look on the trainee's face was priceless, and we all snickered into our beers as he scurried away to call his bosses. A short while later, the whole other training team was standing in front of us in front of us, in the middle of a party that was off several types of hooks, glaring at us like we'd kicked their mothers and slept with their pets, or vice versa. There was just a little bit of drinking going on. The other team didn't believe us at first. Hell, we wouldn't have believed us. It looked, it all looked too cut and dry, but there was more than enough proof. We had the official documents and permits to log from the shuttle that had taken the civvies away to their new and exciting lives aboard the trader's vessel, the note from the head scribe explaining the accident, and the press ganger himself barely waving and confirming that it was all him. There were no cults, no secret societies, no complex cover-ups. Well, at least there weren't any involved in the disappearances. It was all just a bureaucratic mix-up, a simple mistake. Just like we said it was. It was glorious watching their face as it sank in. Well, seeing them go from disbelief to anger to utter disgust, disgust. We didn't glow too much. There's such a thing as winning gracefully, but some of the inebriated trainees were a little less extreme. They might have made some very unpleasant enemies if the part, 
party's designated thinkers hadn't hauled them away in time. Once everything had sunk in and we considered the score suitably even, we invited the other team to stay and party with us, but they made lame excuses about needing to go see their own trainees. As they left, their leader, the suave Asian fellow, swore that they had actually found a cult, a cult even if it wasn't linked to the disappearances. Sarge told them to have fun and asked them to give us a call they needed some fire support when they located the heretics or whatever. Now that our point was made, we were done pretending to be even slightly interested in investigations. Our guests dealt with, we got down to the very business of teaching our trainees how to hold a proper victory celebration. Super professional inquisitorial educators. That's us. After everyone had slept it off, we cleared out the last loot sends and headed back to base. There's still a lot of training to do. In our opinion, we'd made proper training guardsmen out of the lot, and it was time to start polishing. We began to work heavy weapons and explosive drills into the schedule, along with a few more specialized classes for the scribes and priests. We had the base staff pass as, <laughs> as guest lecturers, talking about more or less anything that was nerdy and Inquisition-related. None of them were teachers, really, or veteran field agents, but they knew a few things and passed them to our nerdier recruits while we taught the others how to use missile launchers and heavy stubbers. We tried to fill in the remaining gas by dumping piles of seminars, books, and vids on the trainees. Lots of journals written by inquisitors, after-action reports, and other stuff like that. Honestly, we had the admin grab some of everything and let the trainees work it out for themselves. We certainly weren't going to read and all that shit, except for Doc, that is. He tried to get us to read this book about longing for balls by some old, famous, crippled inquisitor. But that was way too long, and it sounded like the diary of a perverted shut-in, so none of us could be bothered. He was a bit sore about that. But he got some kind of book club going with the training, so it all worked out. Everything was shaping up nicely as we got near the scheduled end of our training. Sure, we were down to 30 recruits from our original 50. We were reasonably happy with what we had. Every one of them was a soldier now. Maybe a nerdier, scummier, and holier soldier than usual, but still a soldier first and foremost. Admittedly, Oak hadn't asked for a bunch of mud feet, but if he wanted something else, he shouldn't have put us in charge. We were feeling pretty good about how everything had turned out. That's when we got a call from the other team. While we'd been doing our final polishing, the second team had been chasing the cultists they'd spotted during the mission. Despite the shit we'd given them about paranoia, they were... British. Yes, I have. I'm going to continue. You can't stop me. That's fine. They were a veteran inquisitorial team. And if they still thought that there was a real cult around there, there probably was. We weren't going to go look for it ourselves, of course. We probably wouldn't be very helpful, and they certainly didn't want us there. But the admin had kept us updated on their progress. It's turning the second Australian. Oh, you... Con. Second team rebased, infiltrated, called in some local support, rebased again, and so on. It was interesting to watch them bouncing around the planet hot on the trail of something. We made sure our recruits saw their progress. It was... Probably educational. Whatever they were chasing was serious. A few of the trainees died. Someone or something messed up their psycher chick real bad. Didn't stop them, though, and eventually they found what appeared to be the cult's primary evil lair. We'd received a few little summaries about what they were dealing with. The cult was some sort of end-of-the-world thing, worshipping ancient death gods, prophesizing their return, and other such silliness. As far as practical details went, everyone in the cult appeared to be suicidally devoted to it, and their base showed signs of some sort of weird Archaeo or Xenotech, but at least their doctrine was decidedly anti-demon and psyker. Well, the last part was unquestionably good news. We found it a, just a little unusual, since, well, all the cultists we'd encountered were all about warp stuff. And uh, something had mentally mangled the Psyker chick, that was for sure. 
which did not track well with their supposed lack of warpy bullshit. The cultist base didn't look too huge or well-armed, but it was a very weird cult. So the team wanted the purge done by someone more experienced with spooky stuff than the locals. Ideally, they'd put a call out for reinforcements from Oak or another Inquisitor and then sit tight and observe the cult while waiting for backup to arrive. Fortunately, something or other had led them to believe that time was absolutely of the essence, so they were going to have to settle for us guardsmen and our dubiously educated trainees. It's actually pretty exciting to get the call. Normally, we liked to avoid things like angry cultists trying to kill us or being sent to storm a fortified position. But this was a perfect chance for our trainees to prove themselves. We were going to rip through these cultists like a chainsaw through butter or flesh or and bone and most types of metal for that matter. Flyers came to get us, and we loaded up with a bit of everything. We figured that since no one was sure what was in the base, it wouldn't hurt to be overprepared. Between the standard gear, the specialist munitions our trainees knew how to use, and our own personal arsenal, we were ready for anything up to a titan. Of course, Twitch pointed out that the base was just large enough to hold a titan, but we really couldn't fit any more ordnance into the flyers. The recruits were briefed. Weapons were checked, and we headed out. As we flew, Sarge worried in his usual grumpy way and double-checked the brief. Cutter made sure his chainsword was all greased up, and Doc wrote a soppy letter, just in case. Twitch was arguing with Nubby about how many debt packs it would take to cripple a titan, while the little man tried to outseat a few trainees at, car eh, at cards. The recruits fidgeted in their seats and chatted with each other, displaying the usual first deployment mix of nerves and excitement. Twitch we and proudly... Nubby re remind me of Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> yeah, they are like that. We proudly noted that their excitement definitely outweighed their nervousness. They'd trained for this and were pretty confident in their skills. We were about 20 minutes from our destination, flying low and slow, when something flashed out of the sky. It was directly ahead of us and came straight down, trailing fire at well over terminal velocity. It looked, eh, looked like a macro cannon shot. It sounded like a macro cannon shot. But it wasn't part of a barrage, and Twitch claimed the shockwave that hit us wasn't nearly big enough. We weren't sure what it was, and it had struck right in the middle of the Colts' base. The other team boxed and said that they were moving in without us, just in case it turned out to be some sort of weird world-ending shit. Sarge told the pilots to forget stealth and floor it. So, no shit. There we were, flying towards a cultist base that had just been cratered by a UFO, listening to the other team advance and hoping against hope that this wasn't about to turn into a rescue mission. We made it almost all the way there before the screaming started. A crude plane was formed as we landed. The other team had activated their locator beacon and we were going to head right for it. Twitch would take a squad and secure the perimeter and flyers. Cutter would be on point with another squad. Doc squad would cover a rear. And Sarge would read the less, the rest, lead the rest of the squads from the middle with Nubby acting as an aide. Nubby complained about the arrangement and was reminded that, after the whole ship purchasing fiasco, he was banned from <laughs> command until the Emperor stepped down from his throne and told Sarge otherwise. The frequencies the other team had been using were a complete mess. Filled with a few screams and a lot of static, something in here was, was screwing with comm signals and their fancy low-profile models weren't punching anything through, through well. Ours were doing a bit better, but only the Voxcasters were getting through clearly. One of the recruits with a caster was put in charge of cycling through their frequencies and telling everyone to fall back to our positions. 
The cult, the cult base was a sort of giant low bunker. It had one entrance, a few side doors that we left to twitch, and a huge ass hole in the roof that was probably not in the original design. The hole was slightly on fire and appeared to be going green, so we decided to go in through the front door. There was a trainee from the other team lying in a few pieces just outside the main entrance, and the first cultist we saw was in similar shape. The second, third, and fourth cultists we ran into were all alive, though. They were, all, they were also nuttier than squirrel shit and armed with an automatic shotgun. <clears throat> Luckily, Cutter's boys were pretty quick. Only one was injured before a few grenades solved the cultist problem. After that scare, we slowed down a little. There's no point in getting killed before we manage to rescue anyone. The recruits put their breaching, <clears throat> breach and clear training to good use. Room after room was flashed and secured as our force headed deeper into the bunker. We ran into a few more cultists and a lot more cult corpses on our way. And while we didn't have any trouble with ho the hostiles, the bodies were a bit worrying. Some of the corpses had normal gunshot wounds. Others had been sliced up by something very sharp, like a mono or four sword. And a few didn't have a mark on them. Something here had been killing friendlies and cultists and be was being damned weird about it. Nubby put his money on a daemon host and began telling everyone about how he killed the last one we faced until the rest of us told him to shut up. Things started to get bad after we found the mayor <clears throat> main stair shaft of the bunker. Sarge left a squad to secure it, figured that was about the most important access point around. A few minutes after our main force left them, the squad lead boxed us and reported a man missing. Shortly after that, we heard last fire and his second, one, his second reported one man dead and two missing, including the squad lead. A halt was called. Sarge told the cutoff squad to pull together and hold position. And then said Doc and Nubby with a patrol to recover the squad before they were all picked off. Doc's rescue team didn't run to anything as they backtracked, and when they arrived, the squad was still intact, if badly shaken. A quick sweep turned off the two missing recruits dead in corners without a mark on them, and the squad lead hacked to pieces. It was obvious that whatever had been hunting the other team, and the cultist was stalking us now. Sarge mandated minimum groups of three, called Doc and the recruits back to the main force, and resumed the advance. The recruits on our flanks began to report possible enemy contact, usually flashes of movement or odd sounds on their comms. During a brief firefight with a nest of cultists holed up in some sort of storage room, one of our men dodged into a closet and didn't come back out. He was dead by the time his squadmates noticed his absence and went to check on him. Two more trainees died this way, and a pair of recruits chased a fleeing enemy around a corner only to find the cultist eviscerated and still twitching. They swore something had flashed away into a dark corner as they approached, but didn't find anything when they checked. Everyone was getting jumpy, and a trigger-happy recruit nearly shot the first friendly we ran into. A Make few surviving prediction. trainees from the other Make team. your prediction on what it is, boys. <clears throat> hmm. Let's see. Wanna, well, the cultists wanna, clearly aren't I'll, in league with it. It's I something wanna, with psyker shit. I, I am going to predict a Druki. What is know. a Druki? Drukari. Uh, Drukari. Dark Elf. Dark Elf. Why, why didn't you just say a Drukari like a normal person? Because it's shortened to Druki. That sounds like a slur. They call themselves Druki, so uh, I don't know. You're a Druki. That's my slur. Do they call themselves Druki, or do they call each other Druki? Because no, there's a similar Druki. word in the English language being said Druki. in America that you could call, call that, that you really shouldn't Druki. say. Please don't commit allegories of racism towards well, me. Well, look, you gotta say Druka. No, you say Druki. <laughs> it's like how they call the... It's like how they call... It's the Azur and the Druki. Hmm. Sorry, man. I'm just not gonna say it with the hard E. 
Oh, no. I don't know, Jacob. It's the, it's the Azure and the Druki. It's I'm the Lord. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Fucking might have to have the SCP fucking, code. Keep you. reading. Keep reading. They already have. They killed <clears> Jesus. Let's see. Usually a, a group of two or three, they found the trainees from the other team. Some followed our Voxcaster signals and made contact as we advanced. For the most part, they were in good condition, if disorganized. Their command structure had completely fallen apart when their comms went down, and they'd been wandering around killing cultists until we'd shown up. It's hard to put them on the flanks to act as scouts, since they were much, much stealthier than our boys. Not to mention, a little more expendable. None of the rescue trainees had any useful info for us until we found a solo one with a rather nasty face wound. She was panicking hard and waving a power sword around in the middle of a brightly lit room. And it took both a trank and a stim from Doc to get her talking and back to normal. Most of what the terrified trainee had to say was total gibberish, but she was fairly insistent about glowing eyes watching from the shadows and blades coming through the walls. The panic trainee's info fit with what we'd observed. And some of our former scribes said that they recalled reports of demons and demon hosts phasing through solid objects or emerging from shadows. Most of us found this explanation for the attacks to be extremely worrying, but Nubby chose to look on the bright side and began gloating about how he was always right and how much money everyone owed him. Sarge adjusted his standing orders to include staying the fuck away from the walls and unlit areas and then told Nubby to shut up and do something useful like figuring out a way to trap or kill whatever the hell this thing was. Nubby being Nubby, he immediately voxed Twitch and dumped the problem on the demolitions trooper while he assumed an advisory role. That's not to say that Nubby didn't do any of the work. Someone had to accurately relay what materials were were available, remind Twitch that nuking the temple from orbit wasn't an option, and either take credit or assign blame depending on how the plan worked out. Anyway, between them, they came up with a a rather cruel but surprisingly effective solution. At their request, we began capturing a few cultists instead of killing them all. Nubby, with far too much enthusiasm, would tie them up, tape a short fuse grenade into their hands, and pull the pin. Of course, a few immediately let go of the lever and blew themselves all over the room we left them in, but most held tight. As the advance continued, we heard the occasional explosion behind us, prompting Nubby to cackle and Doc to complain that this was probably not something we should be teaching the trainees. The traps worked, though. Two of the explosions resulted in high-pitched screaming sounds, and we stopped seeing the flashes of movement. While Nubby was fooling around at the rear, Cutter's squad... Oh my gosh, I can't talk today. Cutter's squad was starting to run ragged after so much time at the front. They had taken the most casualties from the cultists, and Cutter himself had a few minor wounds himself. So Sarge rotated them off at the front and led the final push towards the other team's beacon. As our force got closer, everyone began to hear the sounds of a firefight, and shortly after after that, we encountered the largest group of cultists yet. The cultists were trying to force their way into a large room and failing miserably. We took up positions, counted down, and at Sarge's signal, our boys hit him... In the rear. (sighs) Sorry, I don't know why that's funny. With a few grenades and a whole lot of last fire. For once, the attack went just about perfectly, and we mopped the cultist up with only a few minor injuries on the part of our trainees. 
Once the last injured cultist had been executed, we rallied together and carefully made contact with what was left of the second team. As we entered the room and automatically scanned for threats, our attention was immediately grabbed by the massive hole in the far wall, which opened into the bottom of the crater. We couldn't help but notice that everyone in the room had positioned themselves to cover it, as opposed to the door which the cultists had been attacking through. That did not bode well. Oh, okay. I see the pictures. Not counting the handful we'd recovered on our way, the second team was down to just a dozen men and women led by the agent and co- or led by the agent and cogway instructors. Only the combat focus trainees were left. There were a few former arbites, uh, a pair of psychers, a handful of their more well tra- well armed generic agent types, and the damned cadet commissar we transferred to them. They looked absolutely exhausted. Most of them were wounded to some degree, but they all perked up as we entered the room. Except for the commissar, that is. He just glared at us. The boss agent gave us a quick rundown as we got our boys into position alongside his trainees. Apparently, when the UFO had cratered, his team had gone in fast and hard. A few of them stuck together to check out what had landed, uh, but most had split off off solo or in small groups to cover more ground or something stupid like that. They'd been kicking ass right up until they'd reached his room and poked their noses into the crater. The agent explained that the second one of his trainees had entered the crash site. Uh, someone, someone, everyone's comms had gone down. The solo trainees started getting picked off, and his main force had been attacked by the ship's defenders. Sarge was in the middle of asking what he meant by ship when one of the men watching the crater shouted a warning. Black and green metallic critters began boiling out of the crater hole, and everyone started shouting. The attackers were small, quick, and there was a whole lot of them. If it weren't for a choke point between the room and the crater, we would have been in serious trouble. Those things would have been a nightmare to face in an unrestricted area or close quarters. As it was, we were able to hold the line, hold the tide of metallic attackers back with volleys of fire and a few grenades. At least until something covered with claws came out of the damn floor and shredded two recruits. Sounds like we got a Necron issue, boys. It is indeed a Necron Uh-oh. issue. Doom <clears throat> World. Wait. Kai, do you know what Necrons are? Not at all. I'm not sure the guards okay. know what Necrons are. They might explain it. Uh, they might explain it. Do, do you want us to wait to see if they explain it? Or do you want us to give you like a two-sentence description? Two-sentence description. I hate Evil skeleton robots. Okay, yeah. perfect. Uh, evil skeleton Egyptian robots. Okay. Got it. I've got an image in my head. Yeah, they they right. do give an explanation. They're green and silver, right, and they so, lie about having Gauss rifles. It's my turn. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The situation started to go bad very quickly. The thing had risen out of the floor. The thing that had risen out of the floor was some sort of big metal spider worm thing with size for arms. It positively screamed close quarters combat specialist and was behind our main firing line. It would be perfect in a monster hunter game. Now a, now a proper guardsman can handle just about anything. But we prefer to fight our enemies from the maximum effective range of our current weapon. Or better yet, the maximum effective range of our nearest artillery battery. The spider worm was far too close for comfort, and it tore three trainees apart before it ran into one who could put up a real fight in melee. Even after its killing spree had been interrupted, though, the thing's mere presence played hell with our defense of the crater entrance. The fire 
keeping back the tide of metal bugs, began to fade as the recruits scrambled to safety, horse switched targets to focus on the new threat. We managed to hold, but only barely. Sarge barked the recruits back into position as our squad worked to personally deal with the spider worm. Cutter led the attack with the commissar and agent instructor backing him up in melee, while the rest of us fanned out and hit the thing with our heavier last guns. It was not an easy fight. The enemy was tough, fast, and attacks had a disturbing tendency to pass through it. Half the battle was just trying to line up attacks and hit an ally on on the other side if the thing phased out. To be honest, Cutter didn't really bother with that. He just depended on everyone getting out of the way. Whatever the spider worm's claws were made of was a nightmare to defend against. Metallic creatures' attacks sliced through armor like wet paper and just phased through with any through any attempts at parrying. Only some incredible dodges kept Cutter and our close quarters fighters alive long enough for us to figure out how to reliably hit the damn thing. It turned out that the trick was to wait for the exact moment it struck, then hit it with everything we had while it was temporarily solid. Unfortunately, the strategy required someone to take very nearly take a hit for us to launch our attack, but Cutter was more than willing. A few well-timed volleys and a couple near-death experience later, the spider worm collapsed in a sparking Sergeant Nubby took Sergio, stock of the situation. Sergio, you oh. cut yourself off a little early. Um, <clears throat> you've done that a couple of times. So I'm just, I'm just making, I'm just letting you know. Um, make sure you mute when you're like done, done with the sentence, because you keep cutting yourself off like half second, like five yeah. minutes second in. early. Yeah, you've done it yeah. like two or three times. Yeah, you did it like halfway through collapse. Anyway. Oh well, collapse. I'm just yeah, I was making sure you're aware of it, so... Yeah. Sergeant Nubby took stock of the situation while Cutter ignored both Doc and the Cogboy's protest and wildly chopped at the remains of the Spiderworm. A few trainees from both groups had died during the attack, mostly to the Spiderworm, but a few of the smaller metal bugs had gotten through and done some unpleasant things before they were smashed. Ammo was getting low, and we had a fair number of wounded, including Cutter, who finally collapsed after reducing what the Cogboy called a technological marvel to a pile of scrap. A quick council of war was held, and the other team finished filling us in. They believed that the hostiles were a type of Xenos, called Necrons, and that the thing in the crater was one of their ships. Despite our general lack of proper inquisitorial education, the name rang a faint bell. Something about technical magical powers, looking like skeletons, and refusing to die. That didn't seem quite right to us, since none of the enemies we'd fought had looked anything like skeletons, and the spiderworm seemed pretty fucking dead now that cutter was finished with it but the agent and cogboy seemed really certain so we just went with it anyway ship in the crater was in surprisingly good condition especially considering how it had arrived which exited as excited our better educated counterparts to no end they said it was both an amazing opportunity for inquisitorial research and a dire threat to the planet apparently necrons were famous for their use of teleportation technology which was rumored to have the range and power to bring in an entire army of ground troops from across the galaxy Obtaining working samples of said tech for study was obscenely difficult, to say the least. So the agent and the cogboy were all excited about a chance to loot the ship, but we were a little more concerned about the whole providing a gateway for an invading Xeno's army aspect of things. Our well-honed survival instincts were telling us to call the locals and have them bomb the entire temple until the ship was either blown to pieces or buried under a few thousand tons of rubble. And then bomb it some more. Just to be sure. The other team objected to this perfectly reasonable solution on the grounds that the Inquisition would consider an intact sample of Necron teleportation technology to be far more valuable than the entire planet. Unfortunately, they were able to back that incredibly stupid argument up with a less stupid one about how the Necrons might start teleporting in before the locals got their shit together. Lacking any reasonable counter-arguments to that, 
We reluctantly agreed to head in and see if we couldn't deactivate the ship's fucking teleporter thing. Twitch was calmed and we started getting ready for what was going to be a hell of a breaching operation. While Twitch's squad came down with all with all the ordnance they could carry, Doc headed up with Cutter and the rest of the wounded. None of them were in shape for more fighting, and a few of our trainees would die if Doc didn't stick with them. Besides, Sarge wanted someone competent on the surface who could tell everyone what was happening and request backup. While the agent and Cogboy were busy talking to Twitch, Sarge pulled Doc aside for one last order. Once the medic was on the surface, a quick call was to be made to a certain rogue traitor who we were on good terms with and hadn't left the system quite yet. Honestly, we didn't have anything specific planned at this point. All we did was ask the trader to shift his orbit over our part of the planet. His ship just happened to have the biggest guns within a day's travel of the planet, and it felt reassuring to have them ready to annihilate the crashed ship if it started teleporting a Xenos army in. At once everyone had relocated and rearmed, we stepped out on the edge of the crater and began examining the ship. Our inspection was limited by the fact that we couldn't actually enter the crater without triggering... Triggering? What the fuck? Triggering another attack from the scarab things defending it. So all we could really determine was that the ship looked weird as hell. It was all crescent-shaped, covered with glowy green lines, and appeared to be made of an unfamiliar-looking metal, which the cogboy called necroderpus or something weirdness aside though it was obviously a combat capable void ship and had serious armor twitch could tell at a glance that no amount of debt packs would get us into the xeno ship but instead of frustrating him this discovery actually made him happy in fact it made him too happy and he actually started to giggle as he dug through his pile of explosives the case he finally pulled out of the mound made the rest of us flinch. Now, just to be clear, we all liked Twitch, and there was no better demolitions trooper in the Imperium. We trusted him to set any explosive device and never worried about his traps misfiring, but the way he doted over that meltabomb was unsettling. Emperor knows how Nubby and the admin found that thing. We'd only asked for a few of the anti-armor bombs to show the trainees. In addition to the nice normal ones that had been delivered, there'd been an extra box that was twice as large as the others. And inside, there'd been this absolute beast of a melt-a-bomb. It was not guard issue. If you could unfile the serial numbers and other markings, it'd probably say something like property of the Adeptus Astartes, intended for anti-Titan use only. Twitch called it Big Bertha and slept with it under his bed. He'd had to raise his bed on blocks for it to fit. Now here's your fact of the day, fans, faniners. Necrodermis is what Ferris Manus's arms are made out of. Interesting. Oh, I didn't know that. That's all. Bertha was obviously intended for use by someone far stronger than a normal human, and everyone held their breath as Twitch wobbled under the bomb's weight. While he fiddled with a timer and magnetic clamps, the rest of us pondered how to get it onto the ship without blowing ourselves up. The other team had marked a line across the crater entrance that, according to them, anyone crossing it would trigger another scarab attack. They'd done a little testing and seen that it was only people that set them off. 
rocks, last bolts, bullets, and even grenades were fine, so as long as they didn't detonate against the ship. Since we weren't keen on fighting scarabs while carrying an oversized melt-a-bomb, this meant that all we needed to figure out was a way to get Bertha onto the ship's hull without anyone entering the crater. Since the typical ranged melt-a-bomb deployment method was just throwing the thing as hard as possible wasn't an option, the agent suggested that the last two surviving psychers could just levitate the bomb across the gap. Sarge vetoed this on the grounds that it was an incredibly stupid idea and was thankfully able to supply a far more reasonable solution. Nubby and a few recruits were sent to collect pipes and scrap metal, while Sarge regaled everyone with a tale of how we dealt with a similar problem involving a tentacle demon. By the time Twitch had the bomb ready, a long, ugly, and stupid, and surprisingly sturdy pole, I, I thought it said stupidly, stupidly sturdy pole had been constructed, and a fulcrum was set up at the edge of the line. Bertha was attached to the pole with her clamps facing forward, and with the help of several trainees, we slowly pushed the rod along the fulcrum. It was touch and go in a few spots, especially when this when a seam got struck stuck on the base and nearly tipped it over, but we got it across and clamped the clamped to the hole without triggering an attack or blowing ourselves to little pieces. Once the breaching charge was in place, our trainees set up their heavy weapons, we finalized our attack plans hiccup, and everyone shielded their eyes as Twitch hit the detonator. Bertha was a melt bomb so her detonation wasn't the usual flashbang and shockwave of high explosives. Instead, there was sort of a hissing, crackling sound, along with intense heat, blinding light, and a whole lot of smoke, which began to roil a scarab swarm through it. We responded by opening fire with our heavy weapons and just holding the triggers down until the smoke cleared and the scarab stopped coming. Sergio, go ahead. The Scarabs abandoned their attack without making it through the kill zone, and no more spider worms, which the Cogboy testily informed us were called wraiths, appeared back through them. We reloaded, formed up, and carefully made our, cross, our way across the crater and through the still-glowing hole in the Xenos' ship's hull. The aging commissar led the way, and the first thing that they did after entering the ship was fall sideways out of the hole as the ship gravity field took over. We handled it a little bit more gracefully after our stint on the occurrence border. Gravity ships don't really bother us anymore, and we managed to get all the trainees through without any injuries. The room we were in was large enough to hold our entire force and packed with all sorts of green glowy machinery. The cogboy was ecstatic, but didn't see anything that looked like the teleporter. So we gathered everyone together and made our way to a large door that looked like it led toward the middle of the ship. At our signal, the, our trainees began going through the now familiar breach and cleared drill. Charges were placed, flashes were prepped, and everyone got looked ready for a fight. But the enemy failed to oblige us, at least initially. Our boys stormed in, looking professional as all hell, by the way, and found a room that just seemed as big as empty as the last one. Nerve jangling, we advanced across the room, and were about halfway through the next door when the enemy hit us. Green beams lanced out of the shadows and cut down a pair of trainees while the rest of us grabbed cover. The hostiles that slowly stepped out of the shadows were the metal skeletons and things that we had been expecting when we'd heard the word Necron. After... After the initial advance, the Xeno stock stood still, ignoring our fire and shooting green lightning from weapons that resembled spiky plasma guns. Their shots sliced across the room in long arcs, burning through armor, flesh, and bone like it wasn't even there. Luckily, the bulkheads and machinery that filled the room proved more restraint to the green beams, offering us a distinct advantage as the skeletal Xenos didn't appear to understand the basic concept of cover. After our initial surprise attack, we poured fire onto the Necron warriors. There were only four of them and over 30 of us, but they were surprisingly sturdy by the time we warned them down, reinforcements were coming in. Two more Necrons stepped out of the far door along with a swarm of scarabs. They just stood there and traded fire with us like the others had, except the scarabs were parrying them almost as fast as we could do damage. It was damn disconcerting watching their wounds sort of flow closed and some of the recruits began to panic fire. Without the heavy weapons Twitch's squad had brought down, it would have been bad. It took a pair of our single-shot crack missiles to kill them. 
As soon as the last two hostiles were dead, Sarge ordered another advance, which ground to a halt a mere ten meters into the next room, when another pair of Necrons entered through the far door and opened fire. The room was long and thin, with good cover along the sides, but there was no safe way to move around! Guard instincts told us to dig the fuck in and trade fire from our superior cover, but the cogboy claimed he could sense even more necros teleporting in somewhere ahead of us, which meant that attrition tactics were not going to work. The question was whether we were killing them faster than the reinforcements were arriving, and even if we outpaced them, whether we'd reach the teleporter run of men or ammo was a major question. While Sarge and the other teams were arguing over whether to risk more aggressive tactics or not, Nubby was back at the entrance to the room, sitting in the best piece of cover available. His attention was evenly split among taking pot shots of the Necrons, blocking forward progress, and visually inspecting the pair of dead Xenos near him for anything worth pocketing. The little trooper nearly shit himself when both the Necrons began to slowly pull themselves together and climb to their feet. Operating in a horrible blind panic, Nebby sprayed one Necron with last fire, kicked the other between the legs hard enough to knock it across the room, and ran forward like screaming little girl. Only sheer, absolute luck kept him from getting hit as he ran through everyone's line of fire. Sarge looked back when he heard Nubby's screams and swore. Back in the recently vacated room, more of the Necrons were reanimating. So no shit, there we were, on a crashed Xeno spaceship, fighting skeletons made of living metal, and the ones behind us were getting back up. Gee, this Kai, was a very why bad didn't you thing. get to say it twice in one episode? I don't know, I'm special. If enemy reinforcements were going to keep porting in and the ones we killed weren't going to stay that way, there was only one real option. We had to push forward and destroy the teleporter before we were overwhelmed. Sarge gave the order to advance by squads and we all prayed to the Emperor that the Xenos weren't good at switching targets. The trainees were not happy with that order. Running headlong into incoming fire did not sound fun and the Necrons were damn scary looking. On the other hand, more metal skeletons were coming up from the rear, so there wasn't anywhere else to go. They complained, they swore, and then they manned up in advance, just like proper guardsmen. It's important to understand that advancing by squads is not the same as a reckless charge. It's a precise, difficult maneuver, and it was a damned good thing that we drilled on it, because there were a lot of ways it could go horribly wrong. Sarge stood there and barked commands, exactly as he'd done during training, ordering one squad to throw grenades, another to lay it down fire, and a third to advance to a new position. Then, as soon as the third squad was in cover, the process would repeat. There wasn't any stopping to rest or to retrieve wounded. Everyone had to keep moving and fighting, or the whole thing would fall apart. Some trainees died. Others were badly wounded. But to a man, they followed their orders, and we steadily gained ground. It took a lot of training and discipline to pull off that sort of maneuver, and if anyone from the other team had been watching, it probably would have impressed the shit out of them. They'd probably have stood there going, by the Emperor, look at how coordinated and professional all those former scribes and clerics are. We were totally wrong about those guardsmen being a bunch of lazy incompetence and should probably apologize. Or at least... They would have if they and their trainees hadn't been busy holding off the reanimating Necrons behind us while we advanced. <clears throat> uh, 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 uh. 
The grenade barrages before each push were our best weapon against the Necron. Since that Necroderpist stuff they were made of just shrugged off most last and stubborn fire, the hostiles were reinforcing in pairs with a few bugs repairing them. Each barrage would handle the closest pair, and most of our fire would focus on softening up the next two before the re process repeated. Sarge kept everyone organized and moving. Twitch took pot shots with his remaining crack missiles whenever he had the chance, and Nubby de dedicated himself to making sure any down Necrons nearby stayed that way. The boys were starting to run out of grenades as we reached the end of the long room, but when the door opened to let a pair of hostiles through, we could see the, a big glowy platform thing on the far side. The platform looked sufficiently teleporter-like to us, and all we really needed was line of sight, so Sarge called a hull. Our trainees set up their heavy stubbers, we readied a few of our remaining crack launchers, and when the door opened again, we sighted all our weapons on the platform while a final barrage of grenade handled the advancing Necrons. As the door slammed back shut, we all held our breath, focused on holding our aim steady, and hoped to hell that we'd get a clean shot of the teleporter next time it opened. When the door finally slid back open, we all fired our launchers. Sarge's shot went high, sailing over the platform and blowing, up a po uh, blowing apart a section of the wall. Nubby shot was wasted on one of the advancing Necrons, but that cleared a path for Twitch and Stubbers. One last crack missile and a stream of AP rounds sailed through the door as it slammed closed again. And while we didn't see the impact in the teleport, see them impact the teleporter, we sure as hell felt it. There was a loud crackling bang. The entire ship shook, and the things got weird. First, everything went all ting tingly and green colored. Next, Nubby spotted some of the Necron corpses sort of fading. Then the walls went all wobbly, and suddenly there was an almighty clang, and everything went back to normal. Everyone just sort, of just sort of stood there looking stupid for a few seconds. We all expected something to happen. Like another attack, or the ship exploding, or a wormhole sucking us into warp. But nothing did. All the hostiles had vanished, and we were just sitting there. What seemed to be an empty ship. Eventually, Sarge gathered everyone and took stock. The rear guard hasn't had an easy time of it. The agent was missing an arm, and unconscious, the cogboy was dead, and the only commissar was holding them together. We were down under 20 effective, and I had a handful of wounded who might live if we didn't run into anything else. On the bright side, it seemed like the fight was over. We heroically saved the day and captured a piece of highly valuable xenotech. At least it looked that way. Sarge decided to err on the side of caution and do a last sweep before we threw in parades. The door to the teleporter room was pried open, and we carefully entered. Didn't have any hostiles inside and appeared to also be the ship's bridge. Half the room was taken up by the wrecked teleporter, and there was what looked like an empty command chair with a few deactivated control panels. What really caught the eye was this really important looking pedestal. It was covered in runes that were still glowing green and had a small metal cube suspended above it, some sort of anti grav field. Sarge told everyone, especially Nubby, do not touch it. While the rest of us poked around the bridge, Twitch made some field repairs to our least damaged box pack. It didn't take long. Say what you will about those green beam weapons, they don't do much collateral damage. The next thing Doc asked, when we reached him, as if we had called for any shuttles. The call was interrupted by the door on the far side of the bridge slamming open. Not one, but two s silver and gold giants strode into the room. They had huge-ass bolters and far too many spikes on their armor. Iron Warriors. Iron Warriors. Iron Warriors. Uh. Let's see, is this another... Sorry, I... Had to refresh the page. This is another so no shit. So no shit. There we were, standing on the bridge of an alien vessel, staring slack jawed at a pair of Chaos Space Marines, both of whom seemed just as surprised as we were to find anyone fucking else there. Everyone held very, very still and waited for someone to make the first move. We had them heavily outnumbered and they had us heavily outclassed. If this turned into a fight, it was going to be a fucking bloodbath. The staring contest stretched a little longer and our nerve began to crack. 
Sarge carefully steps forward and nonchalantly as possible asks the Marines if we could help them with anything. This just got even more blank stares and a very awkward cough from Nubby until a third figure entered the room. Two Marines stepped aside to reveal it was obviously a Hera tech who, after a fit of buzzing and giggling, told us that yes, we could indeed help them. Now, most any tech priests look sinister, but the differences between an ugly cogboy and a full-blown Hera tech is damned noticeable. Aside from all the metal tentacles and eerie lights, dripping thingies, pointy bits, this one practically radiated his complete and utter insanity. This second uh, you saw him. If it's not obvious, a a Hera tech is a a heretic tech priest. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I feel like that's obvious, but just in case it wasn't, it's a cogboy who's angsty. Member of the Dark Mechanicum. The second you saw him, it was obvious that this guy was not just fucking nuts. He was also bolts, screws, rivets, and those little metal clampy dealies used in the prefab field buildings. In a voice that seemed to be stuck looping between five different settings and in between bouts of hysterical giggling the heretic demanded device. no real clarification was needed he wasn't just staring at the cube and the pedestal his eyes had literally extended out of his head on little mecha tendrites sarge mind racing stalled for time by asking the crazy metal man just what the cube was and why we should hand it over this triggered a very exasperated groan from both Marines as the Heretech launched into a rambling monologue. The question had mostly been a stalling tactic while Sarge tried to figure out a way to get us out of here alive, but mixed in with all of the insane chatter, there were a few very important things. Firstly, the device was a device for devicing devices. Secondly, it belonged to the Heretech because he'd inerted the inertia and unfazed the phaser and finally he would make us into meat puppets if we didn't give it to him now we translated all this as i am crazy evil easily distracted and far more concerned with that box than you sarge considered the situation the good news is that the heretic wanted the box so bad he might be willing to cut a deal the bad news was that he had to have a ship of some sort in orbit and when it would inevitably try to kill us the moment his box was safe. Sarge's assets consisted of a bunch of exhausted trainees, a paranoid, a cretin, and a still active Vox link to dock. He did not want to fight a pair of traitor marines, not to mention a heretic or a bloody warp ship. He wanted to live through the next few minutes and screw the other guys over before they screwed him over. Thinking fast, he shoved Nubby forward and told him to make a deal, then waved Twitch over and tried to nonchalantly stand in front of the pedestal. The negotiations would have been funny if the situation weren't so serious. One party was a cretinous... (laughs) No. (laughs) Get that out of here. Why so serious? No. Let me read. One party was a cretinous little sneak, telling outrageous lies and trying to figure out how to make a profit on this, while the other was completely insane and had no concept of what normal people wanted. The two marines began to look incredibly annoyed, at least insofar as a giant pile of ceramite and spikes can look anything other than murderous. 
we got to the distinct impression that if things dragged on much longer, they'd stop waiting for the heretic's word to attack. You'll want to know how I got these scars. Acne. You see, my mother was a libtard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm floored. I did not expect you to say that. She came home especially perturbed. You see, abortion was just banned. (laughs) (laughs) This is getting dark. She wanted to post my reaction on Facebook for, for likes. But I didn't have an opinion because I was seven. (laughs) that was the wrong answer she looked at me and she said why so serious damn I can't think of anything after that so I'm just gonna start reading now I shit my pants and went to go play Fortnite I I shit my pants I played Fortnite and I threw my controller at the TV when I lost against someone With a Mandalorian skin. And the glass from the TV cut my face. That's a terrible story. It's a canon canon story. That's what happened in the movie. Eventually, Nubby stomped back to the rather distracted Sergeant Twitch.